Acts 19, if you have a Bible, going to be looking at verses 21 through 41 of the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's Word. Acts 19, looking at verses 21 through 41, and I'll read these verses for us, ask that you just follow along. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly." For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Our Father and our God, we ask for your wisdom as we seek to study your word. Pray that each one of us would be instructed by this passage of scripture today. I pray that you would give us clarity, uh, insight, help us to learn the lessons that you would have us to from this passage of scripture. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing our series working through the book of Acts uh, in the record of the early church. Uh, we find ourselves in chapter 19, where Paul is ministering in the city of Ephesus. He's been here at this point for uh, over two years. 
He started in the synagogue for a few months, and the Jews of Ephesus largely rejected his preaching. And so Paul uh, left the synagogue. He goes into the hall of Tyrannus, a public place where he could teach uh, pretty much anyone who would listen to him. And so every day he was there spending a few hours uh, in between work, his, his tent-making job. He would show up there, and he would present the gospel of Christ. He would answer questions that people had. He would persuade them uh, to repent of their sins and to turn in faith to Jesus. And as we saw last week, God was greatly blessing the efforts of the Apostle Paul during this time. Uh, Many people were being saved, and as people were becoming followers of Christ under the influence and preaching of Paul, they were also taking Paul's message out from Ephesus to the surrounding cities. Ephesus then became a strategic place in the province of Asia, because people from all over uh, that whole province would pass through Asia. It was a regular uh, place of travel and commerce. And so Paul just plants himself right there for a few years and presents the gospel. And the light of the gospel shines out uh, from Ephesus to the entire province of Asia. And so essentially what we see here in Acts 19 is the whole province of Asia is being discipled to follow Christ. Uh, Just look at a a few of the phrases used to describe this time of revival uh, from that section we looked at last week in Acts 19. Look at verse 10 there. It says, of the teaching ministry of Paul, this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 17 says, following the incident of the exorcists, this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And then verse 20 says, summarizing this time, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so as you read through that section, it's very clear that the gospel is really transforming this whole region of Asia. Excuse me. This region of Asia. And please don't get confused. We're not talking here about the continent of Asia, uh, rather the province of Asia. So it would be most of what is uh, today called the country of Turkey. So things are going great. Revival is taking place. People are being saved in large numbers. They're turning to Christ, forsaking their sins. And a strong church is being established here in the city of Ephesus. And other churches also are being established in surrounding cities. A widespread national repentance is taking place. And so that's the context that sets the stage for the passage we're going to look at this morning. Now we'll pick up the text for today, beginning with verse 21, where it says, After these things, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. Paul is determined to go over to Macedonia and Achaia and then to head back to Jerusalem. So just to give you the visual of this, uh, Ephesus is right here. He wants to go to Macedonia, to Achaia, and then back all the way down to Jerusalem. Uh, Paul wants to go to Jerusalem. We know from other passages of of, of Scripture that I'll show you in just a minute uh, that he's wanting to go there to bring financial aid uh, to the church at Jerusalem. It was a very poor church. They were struggling. And so Paul has been collecting offerings uh, from all of these churches in Galatia and now into Macedonia and Achaia. And he's going to bring all of that money back to Jerusalem uh, to help support the church there. Paul writes a little later as he's on this trip to Jerusalem in Romans 15. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. 
for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they also ought to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. So he's writing to the church at Rome here, and he's saying, I'm I'm headed to Jerusalem, I'm going to bring this financial support uh, to the poor saints there at Jerusalem that I've been collecting Uh, from all these different churches. And then, after I go to Jerusalem, I'm headed to Rome. Headed to Rome, and then eventually, past Rome, Paul wants to go to Spain. Spain is the next frontier of Paul's mission's work. He has spread the gospel and established churches throughout all of uh, what is today known as Turkey and Greece. Now he wants to head further west to Italy and then to Spain. And this sets the agenda for the rest of the book of Acts. Paul will go to Philippi, to Thessalonica, to Corinth. He will collect that financial support. He will then head to Jerusalem, uh, delivering the support to the the struggling church there. And then Paul will, in fact, end up going to Rome, though perhaps not in the way that he had planned. In Jerusalem, Paul is going to be arrested, and he will be taken as a prisoner to Rome. Uh, Eventually, it will be in Rome that Paul will be executed as a martyr. We don't know for sure if Paul ever made it uh, to Spain like he had planned, Uh, There's some pretty strong tradition that seems to favor uh, he may have made it out there. But if so, none of that's recorded in the book of Acts. We'll we'll end up at the very end of Acts with Paul in prison in the city of Rome. Now, in advance of Paul's arrival in Macedonia, he sends two men to prepare the way. Verse 22 of our text says, Having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he sends them ahead of him uh, with the message to raise some funds uh, for his arrival. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul had said to the Christians at Corinth where he's headed, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of the week, each one of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And at this point uh, in Acts 19, Paul has decided apparently that he's going to be the one to take this uh, to Jerusalem. So this has been Paul's plan really all along. Uh, Since he left Jerusalem uh, for the third missionary journey, he's been going through Galatia, collecting financial support from the churches. Uh, Now he's headed to Macedonia and Achaia to do the same. And so this sets the trajectory then for the rest of the book of Acts. Paul will head to Macedonia and Achaia, then down to Jerusalem. He'll deliver the gift to the struggling church there. And then at Jerusalem, Paul is arrested, and he ends up being taken as prisoner to Rome. And there's shipwrecks and storms and all sorts of stuff that takes place along the way. All of that is to come in the book of Acts. The rest of chapter 19 tells us about an incident that took place just before Paul left Ephesus. So these are his last days in the city of Ephesus where he spent, uh, at this point, about three years, uh, which is the longest Paul ha- has ever spent in one place uh, preaching and teaching and establishing a church. And so in the midst of this great revival that's taking place here in Ephesus, verse 23 says, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, which is just a a term that was used to describe the early church, the Christian, the movement of Jesus' followers, they were called the way. 
For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. Now, in order to understand this section, you need to know uh, that just outside the city of Ephesus was a massive temple to the goddess Artemis. This temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was supported by over a hundred pillars, each one 60 feet in height. Uh, This temple was very impressive in its day. It took over 200 years uh, to build it. And people came from all over the province of Asia to the city of Ephesus to see this magnificent temple. Uh, There's not much left of the temple anymore. There's just some ruins, a few pillars that are left standing, uh, but pretty much it's gone now. But back in its day, it was impressive. Here's a, a recreated image of what historians believe that it may have looked like in Paul's time. A massive, ornate structure. Now, this temple and the worship of Artemis brought quite a bit of tourism to the city of Ephesus. And thus, businesses were created to take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, These silversmiths, like Demetrius, made little silver replicas of the temple of Artemis. uh, Maybe even some statues of the goddess as well to sell to tourists. Uh, But the preaching of the gospel had begun to affect their business. And this becomes the catalyst Uh, for basically a riot that's about to take place. Verse 25 says that Demetrius, the silversmith, together with the workmen in similar trades, uh, said to them, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Now that's quite a statement about the effectiveness of Paul's preaching. In these two to three years that Paul stayed in the city of Ephesus, his preaching led to a great many people in the province of Asia turning away from their idolatry to worship the one true and living God. Uh, John Stott writes concerning Paul's success here, uh, something that I think is very instructive to us in terms of our evangelism, how we think about uh, spreading the gospel of Jesus. He says, when we contrast much contemporary evangelism with Paul's, its shallowness is immediately shown. Our evangelism tends to be too ecclesiastical, inviting people to church, whereas Paul took the gospel out into the secular world. Then Stott says that our evangelism is often too emotional. Uh, We appeal for decisions to be made without an adequate basis of understanding, whereas Paul For these two years, he taught, he reasoned, he tried to persuade the people. And lastly, Stott says that our evangelism is too superficial. Uh, We make brief encounters and expect quick results, whereas Paul was willing to stay in Corinth and in Ephesus for a total of five years, uh, faithfully sowing gospel seed and in due time reaping a harvest. And so we see something about the effectiveness of Paul's strategy planting himself here, reasoning daily, teaching, building upon the foundation, and establishing a strong church here in the city of Ephesus. This chapter shows us how we ought to advance the kingdom of Christ. We don't do it by uh, force or by violence. Paul didn't lead an attack against the temple of Artemis. Uh, No, he instead preached the gospel. Day after day, he would go to work, and then he would go to the hall of Tyrannus to teach. And the next day, he did it all over again for about three years. He just kept teaching, kept answering questions, reasoning, persuading with the people that Jesus was the Messiah. 
And that preaching was so blessed by God. And so many people were turning to Christ that it was impacting the business of idolatry in the city of Ephesus. As people were turning their lives over to Christ and they were worshiping the one true God, they were abandoning their worship of idols like Artemis. And so Demetrius, this silversmith, is very concerned about this. And he gathers his his fellow workers together and says to them, we need to do something about Paul. Uh, We make our living off of these little idols and replicas that we're building. And Paul is persuading everyone to forsake idolatry and worship Jesus only. And so verse 27, he says to them, There is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may uh, even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. So he appeals to their uh, their patriotism as Ephesians and their loyalty to the goddess Artemis and says, hey, we have a common enemy here in Paul, and we need to do something to stop him. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And what results from all this is a mob, an out-of-control mob. Verse 19 says, the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. So uh, they presumably can't find Paul uh, right away, but they come across a couple of his companions, his fellow preachers. And so they drag them over to the amphitheater. Here's a picture of this uh, from the sky. It's a huge uh, theater there in the city of Ephesus, still pretty well preserved. You can go there today uh, and visit. Uh, And basically, it it was large enough to seat 25,000 people. So this is more of a stadium uh, than what we would think of as a theater. Uh, Here's a view of it also as if you're standing inside. So the mob is gathered there in the stadium. They drag a couple of Paul's uh, co-laborers. And verse 30 says that when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Uh, Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Uh, So the Asiarchs, those would be high-ranking officials of the province of Asia. Paul is wanting to go into the theater to defend himself. Uh, Presumably he was going to stand up and and preach the gospel to them as well. Uh, Paul was never really afraid of a challenge, it seems. Uh, But these people say, hold on, Paul, Uh, you need to calm down. Uh, You're going to get yourself killed. And so they, they warn him that this is a very dangerous Uh, situation taking place in the theater there. And so verse 32 then describes the mob. It says, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. That's a great description of a mob. Uh, People are shouting, they're confused, and most of them don't even know what they're shouting about, Uh, but they're, they're angry and they're sure passionate about it. Verse 33, some of the crowd prompted Alexander whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. So the Jews put forward uh, this guy, Alexander. Presumably, he's going to try to differentiate uh, between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, Lest they all get lumped in together, he wants to stand up and say, "Uh, hold on, we're not with Paul. We're just Jews. You know, we're we're not impacting your your idol worship. uh, So so don't attack us. But they don't even let him speak. Uh, Verse 34, he's standing up, motioning with his hand, Uh, trying to give his defense. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. 
Uh, So two hours long, they're just shouting, not letting him uh, speak a word. And after a while, eventually, the town clerk arrives, and he finally puts a stop to all of this. Uh, This would be basically the mayor of the city of Ephesus. Verse 35, when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there that does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis? and of that sacred stone that fell from the sky. So basically he's saying, <clears throat> despite you know, your anger at Paul and his preaching, uh, everybody still knows that the temple is here in Ephesus. Where this is still our icon as Ephesians. They haven't impacted uh, our worship of Artemis. And everybody also knows about this sacred stone that fell from the sky. Very likely this is referring to a meteorite. Uh, I I looked this up uh, yesterday because I was curious. About 17 meteors uh, hit the earth every day, uh, which is, I found that a little bit interesting. Most of them are tiny little things, so you don't necessarily think anything of it. But apparently, uh, this meteor had landed. It was a a larger one, and they assumed, because it fell from the sky, that this was an image of a goddess come down from heaven. And so they started worshiping it. Uh, That may have been the origin of the goddess Artemis in the temple here in Ephesus. And so the mayor says to the crowd that's there, uh, everybody knows that Ephesus, we have this great temple to Artemis. Uh, Everybody knows about about our goddess here. Verse 36, he continues, seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. Meaning, uh, Paul and his companions, they haven't you know, robbed our temple. They haven't desecrated it. They haven't taken any any sort of physical action uh, against the the worship here in Ephesus. Uh, they're not temple robbers, so just leave them alone. They're not doing anything to impact your worship. If therefore, verse thirty eight, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. So the regular assembly, that would take place three times a year uh, where they would meet kind of as a court uh, to settle disputes among the people of the city. And so basically the town clerk is ordering them uh, to go through the proper channels. If you have a complaint, uh, you want to file charges against Paul, you think he's doing something illegal, uh, bring a charge against these men, that's fine. Uh, But we're not going to give in to mob justice is basically what he says. Verse 40, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. When he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So basically he says to them, if you have actual charges of crime that Paul and his companions have committed, then bring those to our regular assembly. We'll deal with it then. But we're not going to give in to the mob. And furthermore, he says, if you all don't calm down and stop all of this yelling, Uh, you are in danger of being charged with rioting. And in those days, Rome would not tolerate such a riot. If if news got to the Roman officials that there was um, a mob, a crowd of people stirring together, uh, they would send soldiers in to put a stop to it, and that usually involved uh, pretty much indiscriminately killing people until everybody went home and the riot stopped. And so this mayor warns the people, hey, it would be in your best interest to calm down, uh, go home, go through the proper channels. And so that puts a stop to this riot. Now, you might think as you read through a passage of Scripture like this, what is the point of all of this? What could we possibly learn from a text like this? And I would suggest 
three takeaways from this passage as we close this morning. Number one, when the gospel takes root in a society, there will be great changes as a result. Uh, The gospel of Jesus transforms people's lives. And so whenever there is a great moving of God and large numbers of people being saved, there will inevitably be societal changes that take place as well. As people are forsaking their sin, in this case, the sin of idolatry, uh, there will be changes. You'll be able to see, in other words, the impact of the gospel when great numbers of people are coming to faith in Christ. I think sometimes we we boast uh, too much about the numbers of people that are being saved in ministries today. Uh, I know of several churches actually here in the area uh, that would say that through their ministry, millions of people in Chicago uh, have been saved. And I say to that, if that were really true, then Chicago would be a very different place. Uh, Because just like in the city of Ephesus, when you see a lot of people coming to faith in Christ, uh, genuinely being converted, and the Holy Spirit takes residence in them, that leads to a change in the society. Because when people are truly saved, they are transformed by the Holy Spirit within them. So, number one, when the gospel takes root in a society, there will be great changes as a result. Number two, even in times of great revival, there will always be opposition. Just because God is doing great things and people are coming to faith in Christ and things seem to be going so well here in Ephesus, Satan didn't just lie down and and take a rest and let, let God do his thing. No, Satan will continue to fight the kingdom of God. In fact, it seems that as the gospel is experiencing success, as the kingdom of God is gaining ground, Satan fights even more desperately to stop the advance of Christ's kingdom. And so we must never become complacent with apparent successes that we see, uh, because the devil will always uh, up the ante, up his attacks, and try to stop the church from gaining ground. Lastly, number three, just a very practical uh, little bit here as we leave. We ought to pray for leaders like this clerk. We ought to pray for leaders, especially that they would be the kinds of leaders who would let us worship and serve the Lord freely and spread his gospel. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for all who are in high positions. So he says to them, basically, you ought to pray You ought to intercede on behalf of your kings, your leaders, your governors, all of those in positions of governmental authority. And then look at the reason he gives, verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul essentially says you ought to pray for your leaders, you ought to pray that God would give us the kinds of leaders who would allow us to lead our lives peacefully, serve the Lord, spread the gospel, and see people coming to faith in Christ uh, without fear of of persecution or punishment from the government. Uh, For us here in America, we've had this unusual blessing for centuries, uh, but it is not so in other places in the world. And there's no guarantee that it will always be the case here either, that we'll be able to worship freely and spread the gospel freely without fear of punishment. And so uh, we ought to pray for revival to come like it did here in the city of Ephesus, for people to be saved as they hear the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And as God's kingdom advances, we should also pray that God would give us leaders 
who would give us the freedom to continue this work of spreading the gospel of Christ in our community. And let's pray for those things right now.